0: ARA, Historical Novel Society Australasia's Prize for Historical Fiction. Amelia's first book, The Grandest Bookshop in the World, is set in Melbourne in 1893. Amelia's next book should have been a sequel, but The Bookseller's Apprentice is actually a prequel, and the story begins on a dreary Saturday morning in 1871.
1: The bookstall was one of Billy's favourites. The shelves were crooked and crowded, the taller ones forming walls on either side, Tucked in the nooks between shelves and tables were wooden chairs which folded themselves down when a reader approached to sit. A trestle table served as the front counter, arrayed with books and decorated with a pair of potted ferns. Edward Cole, the bookseller, stood behind it in his splendid scarlet jacket chatting with a customer. At his side, a golden brown monkey crouched on a crate, carefully poking and biting on a pine cone to pick out the nuts. A sign bearing a thin rainbow hung over the stool, its letters changing and fading between two welcoming messages. Read for as long as you like. No one asked to buy. Both Mr Cole and the sign made for a pleasant contrast to the stall and its keeper across the way. Fletcher's fine taxidermy was not magical. Mrs Cora Fletcher sat scowling at her counter with her white hair pulled back tightly. Her sign declared... No admittance to children.
0: Amelia Mellor, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, Greg.
0: Congratulations on taking out the ARA Historical Novel Prize for 2023.
1: Thank you very much. I'm very, very happy with the win.
0: What was your first reaction when you were informed that you'd won? And what does the prize mean for your career as an author and for your next book?
1: Well, um, I believe I screamed like a tropical bird. I got the news on the phone, and it's very, very exciting, not only because it gives Apprentice this wonderful credit, um, but it means I can continue writing full-time because I have been writing full-time now for two years, um, and it's great, and it's what I've wanted since I was a kid, um, which is just fantastic.
0: To create a work of historical fiction, you you need a a factual historical framework on which to build your story. What was the history that The Bookseller's Apprentice draws on?
1: I found out while I was researching the grandest bookshop in the world that Cole's Book Arcade actually had very humble beginnings. Uh, It started as Edward William Cole selling pies in this market. It was most often called the Eastern Market, actually. But Paddy's Market, I think, was used more by the people who actually frequented it. So Mr. Cole started selling his pies in Paddy's Market in the 1860s um, and then he had an opportunity to buy some secondhand books, switched to selling books overnight and became a bookseller in the market. And it was in 1873 that Mr. Cole hired his first and I would say most loyal employee, William Pike. Real William was 14. He was definitely a little bit of an underdog because I've got an account from him from his first day when he went to apply for the job. And it was just like in the book, it was the middle of winter. um, And he was one of about, he reckons, 50 boys, uh, but they didn't actually write letters. In those days, you could just show up and the interviewer or, a hiring manager basically would just pick you out of the crowd, which is exactly what happened to real William. On his way there, he had a nosebleed and had to wash it off in the fountain outside Parliament House, and so he got there last out of this crowd of 50 or something boys, and I like to think he must have looked quite stressed and panicked, which Mr Cole took for like a look of alertness. (laughs) That's just my interpretation, but... um, I guess the point is real William was a little bit of an underdog too. Yeah, through reading the diary of William Pike, I got to know him and I took lots of little bits and bobs to put into the character Billy. And through that diary, I also learned of how much he looked up to Mr Cole, not just as an employer, but as a mentor kind of.
0: The history of magic is almost as long as history itself. So you've studied the history And have you studied the history of magic too?
1: I actually have. I have, of course, looked most closely at enthusiasm for magic and illusionists in the Victorian era, but magic goes back quite a long way. There have been magicians in all kinds of ancient societies, but something that I think is interesting is that they're often associated with trickery. And, of course, they are because everything that they do is a trick, but... One thing that I think is particularly interesting that struck me about this this reputation of magicians being untrustworthy, because if you don't know, um, the villain in these books is a magician. There's a painting from the 15 or 1600s of a street magician doing the cup and ball trick, and there's a rapt crowd watching him do this in a street market, in fact. What's really going on is he's got an accomplice who's picking everyone's pockets while they're watching the cup and ball tricks. So I have looked a bit at the history of magic and of what in the book I call career magicians, because in the book anyone can do magic, but there's professionals who are usually entertainers who who do it. So sleight of hand and 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 magic tricks do have quite a long history, and they do have quite a long association with untrustworthiness, which I think is quite interesting.
0: Cole's Book Arcade is a magical place full of sweets that change your voice, talking parrots, chairs that fold themselves up. It seems like the perfect setting for a magical historical novel. Seems like anything can happen in this bookstore. Yes. Well, in The Bookseller's Apprentice, we're
1: just starting to see the first glimmers of Cole's Book Arcade in sort of Mr. Cole's vision. He says a couple of times, gosh, I'd like to have a big bookshop just like the Melbourne Public Library in a few years' time, and he sort of shares that vision with Billy. But we've, I, I've put in a few extra little hints like there's one monkey and there's, you know, two potted ferns rather than a whole fernery full of monkeys. However, one thing that did last from those early days in the market to the great big three-storey, 100-metre-long Coles Book Arcade is that slogan, read for as long as you like, no one asked to buy. That was Mr. Coles' secret to success, I think, because people in the market would come to have a little sit-down, they'd read, and they could read all day if they wanted because his aim and his passion in Mr. Cole's case, was to share books first. And he didn't actually mind that in the early days he didn't make very much money off book selling. Books were important to him. Education was important to him. And read for as long as you like was his way of getting people to educate themselves.
0: Let's talk about Billy Pike. He says, I can do a little magic, which is good for tidying things, Billy needs magic because he's about to face some big challenges uh, where his mastery of magic will be crucial, particularly in dealing with the Obscuro Smith.
1: Billy, unfortunately, in Chapters 2 and 3, runs afoul of the Obscuro Smith, who is a career magician of an unusual kind. He's a trickster. He sells things you can't normally buy. For instance, you know, you might get a wish in exchange for one of your fingers, or um what he offers he offers Billy um to solve his problems at home in exchange for a couple of years of his life. So Magnus Maximilian, which is his name, um, the obscure smith, he's sort of joyfully evil. <laughs> um and in the market, he's having a whale of a time, tricking everyone, taking things from everyone. He loves control. He loves humiliating people. He loves sort of getting in there and seeing how people tick and then taking one thing and just watching the chaos unfold. Billy's issue is that his conscience won't let him leave Mr Maximilian alone. Over time, he watches this trickery and dastardly deeds all unfold and it all comes to a head one night. Uh, when the Obscuro Smith unleashes something that puts everyone's lives in danger.
0: The Obscuro Smith deals in riddles. That's one of the challenges Billy Pike faces in outsmarting the Obscuro Smith. Riddles must have a history too. What's your interest in riddles?
1: I was inspired with the riddles um, by Mr. Cole's children's books. So Edward William Cole was a children's author as well as a bookseller. Um, And many people today still remember Mr. Cole through Cole's funny picture book, which his grandson reprinted, which is why I'm not (laughs) the first person who knows about this. So I actually purchased some of Mr. Cole's books, including some that are from the Victorian and Edwardian period. When I started this series, I wanted the stories. To incorporate riddles into them, so I definitely I have always liked riddles. I will say, *Deltora Quest* was a formative influence on me. Um, but I've always liked I've always enjoyed puzzle books and stuff like that. And I wanted to include some of Mr. Cole's riddles, or at least things that came from Mr. Cole's riddles. Because sometimes I just use a format that he's used. However. In the course of researching The Bookseller's Apprentice, I found out that riddles are a very old and culturally universal kind of tradition. There are riddles that are thousands of years old. It's a fun little game that humans have sort of always enjoyed and some riddles are as simple as, you know, a dirty pun and some of them are quite complicated and philosophical. Yeah, the process of researching riddles for this book was quite interesting and I had to make up some pretty tricky ones as well because not everything that I need the story to do is actually in Mr Cole's riddle books even though he does include literally thousands of them it's difficult to write them but it's also very fun
0: so magic fortune telling riddles this book is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside a box of puzzles that all need to be solved it occurred to me, are you trying to promote the insidious idea that history might be fun?
1: Whatever would give you that notion. You got me. <laughs> uh, I I think history is fun anyway, but having an adventure through historical settings certainly does sort of act as a bit of, sh- I won't call it sugar around the pill because I don't think history is a pill, but it definitely does help to suck you in. There's so many kids who've told me how fascinated they are with the Victorian era through my books. It's actually something that Mr. Cole was promoting way back in the 1880s where he wrote in his funny picture books, not in reference to history in particular, but he said something along the lines of give a child something fun to read and it will create a love of learning. He's a massive proponent of that, which is one reason why I feel like I have licence to make these books very whimsical, occasionally silly because, yeah, we enjoy the adventure first and then we learn without realising. There's books I read as a kid that did something very similar, so you're spot on. I, I, I am promoting that history is fun and weird. History is so weird and we don't teach the weird bit often enough. That's why I like social history, I suppose, as, a, as opposed to names and dates and so on. A lot of the really strange parts of these books are things I did not make up.
0: One of the great things about this book is the way the, that social history emerges through the story, the, the way characters use language, uh, how they moved around, how they interact with each other. And that really gives you a a very strong sense of place.
1: Thank you very much. One One of the really unusual things that I didn't make up was the medicine show of the great American painless dentist. Now, that is the real title of a real medicine showman who was in this market in Melbourne in the late 1800s. I don't know his name. I made up his name. I gave him the name Phineas Crane. But the great American painless dentist was his real title. And his real act was what I've described in this book. I won't spoil it exactly, but his, his catchphrase in real life was nobody's heard my patients yell. It was just so bizarre. I just had to include it. And in researching that, I dug a little deeper and looked into things like how did the Victorians actually brush their teeth? Charcoal and Honey was one of the toothpastes you could get in the 1870s. Some dentists recommended brushing five times a day, really scrub that enamel off. Um, so every time in history has got something wonderfully weird about it. But the Victorian era is just so strange and so such a mix of light and dark as well. I was a fan. I was interested in the Victorian era for a long time before I started these books.
0: Well, Amelia, it's been historical and magical to talk to you and thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: I've been talking to Amelia Mellor about her ARA, Historical Novel Society Australasia's Award-winning book in the Children and Young Adult category for 2023. It's published by a firm, and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs and thanks for listening. This Good Reading Podcast was brought to you by Book People Gift Cards. Share the joy of reading with a Book People Gift Card. To find out more, visit bookpeoplegiftcards.org.au